Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Elizabeth Dutton. Zarin Burnett. I got a question for you, my friend. Yes. Do you know what's ridiculous? I know what's ridiculous. No, you don't. You know what? how I know what's ridiculous? No. How do you know? We got a Instagram fella here, Ron Duguid. Ron Duguid? Duguid. It's like a well, pilgrim no. name? It's, he's got a phenomenal name, uh-huh. D-I-U-G-U-I-D. Oh, And cool. I thought, I'm going to butcher this name, and that's not fair for this mm-hmm. dude. So I looked it up, and if I got it wrong, then Ron, oh my God, I'm so sorry, but I think it's Duguid. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he tipped me off to something that... You know, uh, the interns told him, this is amazing, this is horrible. And then he told the interns, amazingly horrible or horribly amazing. (laughs) And I'm glad we can have some fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. He he gets us. I need to read you something from uh, a promotional um, what have you. You know something about me? I'm all ears. I know. So, quote, we are committed to supporting Australia's music industry and nightlife. And that sounds good, right? That's oh, a good yeah. part of it. I love the Aussie nightlife. And providing Aussies with the ultimate KFC experience. It's so exciting to be partnering with such incredible local Aussie <laughs> talent on what is sure to be a fantastic night out. And we cannot wait to open the doors to our very first nightclub in Australia. We love to throw a gig. So it's encouraging fans to grab their tickets, unleash their free spirits, and embrace the fried side of life. Producer Dave, can you turn her mic off? Just, just Zaren, turn it down. <laughs> I have to ask you. Why do you do this? What to is me? preventing you from embracing the fried side of life? I don't know. I've, common sense. Right. Okay. So KFC is partnering yes. with um, uh, yes. producer Lude, L U U D E. Lude. Lude and KFC together mm-hmm. again. So apparently it's like some like hippity hoppity guy, right? Are you a Lude dude? Lude. Uh, he's a club guy. Mm-hmm. He has a mullet, P.S. Oh, Australian style yeah, mullet? I so. So um, they're, they've paired up. So he's not only going to headline the club, mm-hmm. he's he's got a mashup. He's collabed <laughs> for Lude's Zinger Sliders. Oh, God. 
God. Which are, um, the sliders come in a pair, Zarin. You get They're, so much joy from this. I do. You have no idea. <laughs> They're each packed with half of a zinger fillet. Oh, God. And is, is a zinger a new kind of animal? I don't know. <laughs> One is smothered in chili relish and the other in supercharged sauce, which I think is just like a four loco reduction. <laughs> and they're it's I don't know. KFC says they're quote going to be certified fire. Certified fire. Oh, so people watch in out. essence, to summarize, yes, uh-huh. uh In conclusion, in conclusion. Th- there's a KFC nightclub in Australia. <laughs> you hear yourself? I do. I hear. You know, my life is just one string of like Elizabeth. Did you hear what you just said? And I go, hmm, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I did. I'm sorry. Uh, well, that is certified ridiculous. It so is. Do you know what's else is ridiculous? Please, share. Do you have a moment? My life is a series of moments. Okay. (laughs) Most of them are available to you. Some are not. Thank you. You're so generous with your time. I know. I've got a story for you. Did you know that one of the most famous mystery writers ever, forever, ever, they once disappeared for 11 days. But not only did she disappear, but many think that she faked her death. And not only that, Elizabeth, she may have been attempting to frame her husband for her murder. Oh. Yes. That famous mystery writer was, drumroll please, Agatha Christie. Wow. Yeah, buckle up. Love her. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Whoopee! (laughs) (laughs) I like it. You're in one. You're on one and you're riding it. I am all over one. Let's talk Agatha Christie. Let's. Undisputed queen of the murder mystery book, Mm -hmm, right? Totally. Now, you know how we're 99% murder-free, 1%... Uh, murder, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Agatha Christie, 99% murder. Oh, I know. Yeah, totally flipped it. Well, because here's the thing. She's kind of got like the the original uh, version of uh, murder she wrote, you know, where like mm-hmm. if she shows up in town, like, ooh, boy, oh, yeah. some, somebody's going to, you know, get got. Uh <laughs> She, Miss Marple. Yes, Miss Marple. Like, if mm-hmm. she shows up to your country estate for oh, some yeah. to do, I'm like, I am getting out of town. Buy life insurance on all the people you I know. I am hopping on a horse yeah. and two to lose. <laughs> and with Poirot, too. Same thing, yeah. Yeah. He I also see, rides with death. I see that little curly mustache coming in. <laughs> I'm like, curly mustache my way out of there. Did you have a favorite between Marple and Poirot? Uh, I think I like Poirot. Really? Yeah. Why? Uh, I don't know. Part of me is the problem that I'm having is I'm having trouble disconnecting the books from the television versions. And the movie versions? And the movie. So, like, I love that the television Poirot Mm -hmm. with David, uh, I can't remember his last name now, Um, the kind of standard PBS. David Prost, right? No, it's like Sachet or Oh, the most recent one, the one that's on right right, now. I love him. Okay. And he plays a great Poirot. And he's kind of, I feel like, the basis for this character in the um, Maisie Dobbs novel series, okay. which are amazing. You do love those? Yeah, Maurice, I guess his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I feel like that writer took inspiration from Poirot to create him. Anyway, mm-hmm. I like Poirot's um, very intellectual, larger issue 
um, assessment mm-hmm. of the crimes instead of the like sneaky, you know, I'm going to piece this together and then ha <laughs> <laughs> So you're not a big fan of the Columbo style, the Murder, She Wrote I style? I just love murder mysteries. I know you I do. I really do. I always think it's funny about Miss Marple is that like she's the one people always overlook and mm-hmm. then Poirot distracts you with the flamboyance of the mustache and the outrageous Belgian accent mm-hmm. and everything. So one, you you pay attention to oh, the yeah. other one you do not. So she covers. They're, they're sleeping on the on the bad baby over there. You know they they're not paying attention <laughs> to her. But you know it's like you the older you get as a woman, the more invisible you become. I've heard this. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, and, I have uh, the opposite effect. There are parts when you think, yeah, it is kind of nice to be invisible, mm-hmm. but you know that's also demoralizing. Oh yeah, totally. And so we're you social know, creatures. The the aged Miss Marple, mm-hmm. she goes somewhere. People say wild stuff in front of her. Mm-hmm. And they don't. She's they don't just a piece she's of a furniture. Threat. She's yeah. just like a raw knife. And that's why you shouldn't underestimate us old broads. That's so true. Mm-hmm. I always say that. Now, speaking of uh, you know underestimating people, mm-hmm. you mentioned the movie versions. Yeah. Okay. The classic, in my opinion, is the Murder on the Orient Express. Not the new one, oh, but the, say, the oh, 1970s version. Yes. The one with everyone in it. Yes, That movie yes. incredible, right? Albert Finney, his Hercule Poirot. I love Albert Finney. Unforgettable, yeah. right? Now, for those who don't know, the plot is there's the train, the Orient Express, and then there's a surprisingly large number of Americans on it, and there are a bunch <laughs> of people who work for the same American, Charles Lindbergh, and I won't tell you anymore, right? right? right now, the right. cast for that film is this also insane list of stars in the last mid-century. Do you remember how many people are in that movie? Run it by me. Because okay. you mentioned Albert Finney. I just yeah. recently watched Annie. Oh, my God. So God, good in that, too. such a good movie, and I remember all the lyrics. I'm really proud of myself. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> okay, we got Ingrid Bergman. Wow. Lauren Bacall, uh-huh. Vanessa Redgrave, Sean Connery, John Gilgood, <gasps> Anthony Perkins. Oh, my God. It's just like a it's, crazy hit list. Yeah, yeah. Now, of that, of that list of actors, do you have a favorite? Any one of those jump out for you? For me, it's obviously Ingrid Bergman. She's my favorite. Uh, yeah, I kind of like Sean Connery. Yeah, I thought you did. <laughs> you play both sides. No, <laughs> that's my one Sean Connery. Like, <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to take. You're your... playing both sides. That's all I can do. That's it. What about... I mean, or I could do like a real impression of him. You, oh, could you do an impression of Sean Connery for us? Would you favor producer Dave and I with one? <sighs> okay. <clears throat> hey, everybody, it's me, Sean Connery, and a little panties and a hit lady. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Whoa, where did that come I from, don't Sean? Know. Who's Sean? the man now, dog? <laughs> Okay, so L.A. has uh, three seasons, as I told you. Mm-hmm. My favorite is, uh, second favorite is award season. The other is our fire season and flood season. <laughs> yeah, so one of those is we my only favorite. We have two up here, so. Yeah, that's true, actually. Now, the 47th Oscars, Murder on the Orient Express, cleaned house that year. Because really? I told you all those stars, right? They won for Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Costume Design, Best Cinematography. I mean, just everything. Mm. Now, compare that to Mm-mm-mm. the recent adaptations. Now, now that... <laughs> Oh, There's, oof, oof, la la. Right? The, what was the first one he did? Death on the Nile? Because that was a stinker. Yes, that's the one that starred Wonder Woman and the alleged yeah. uh, cannibal grandson of Arm and Hammer. Exactly. Oy, oy, oy. Yeah. It was so bad, Zarin. You Make remember it stop. How, we Make saw it that together. Away. We were just we like did. laughing at, not at the film, like near the film, yeah. at each other, what it we were saying theater, about the film. It was in a theater, yes. and I went up to the screen and I barfed on it. <laughs> That's what happened. The Murder on the Orient Express version, that was a little bit better. Yeah, that was that was good. It had a brilliant conceit. The whole setup was a bunch of stars get together to kill Johnny Depp. I mean, it was just like, <laughs> so now. So <laughs> anyway, in both films, Kenneth Branagh's version of Hercule Poirot. What do you think? I thought delightful. What I thought it was good. Yeah. Right? What was the Vin- the Venice one? That was a little bit. Oh, uh, uh, Haunting in Venice? Yeah. Eh. yeah. They're just not good movies. 
He puts a lot of people who are not likable in them. Like a lot of, like in real life, <laughs> yes. they're unlikable. Oh, yes. So I'm walking into it being like, ah, I can't believe I'm going to watch this. It's casting agents not reading the local trades, yeah. the news, anything. Yeah, he's like, what bozos can I put in here? They're nice to me. Yeah, they it's said kind of, yes, and I, right. they took our offer. And then they're just, the, they're very convoluted in their retellings. So Agatha Christie, writer, we talked mm-hmm. about. Agatha Christie, you know, basically not filmmaker, but films made of her books we've talked about. Creator. She's a content creator. Content cre- Agatha Christie content creator. <laughs> yes. So what about Agatha Christie cultural phenomenon? Did you know that Agatha Christie has sold more books than almost any other writer you can name? Go ahead. Name a writer. Uh, Who do you think sold a lot of books? John Grisham. Sold more books than him. Name another one. Uh, who's the um, Da Vinci Code man? Oh, Dan uh, Brown? Danny Brown. Dan Brown, right? Danny. Danny, old bit Danny, bad Danny, Danny Brown. Brown. Yeah, what about that? More than him. Um, God. Stephen King, more than him. Okay, she has a century head start on these writers, Stephen King, John Grisham, those guys, like the the supermarket fiction writers. Okay, Charles Dickens. More than him. Okay. Okay. That's not me saying that, by the way. That Gilgamesh. She's like such a badass. Guinness Book of World Records. According to Guinness, they say her two billion books she has sold are more than anybody other writer you can name. Two billion. Two billion. She's the best-selling fiction writer of all time. Go for it, lady. One writer. billion books sold in English. One billion books sold in a hundred and three other languages. Wow. She's killing the game. That's incredible. Now, if you include nonfiction, plays, religious texts, so forth, there's still only two writers who've sold more books than her. Can okay. you name those two writers? Um, of nonfiction? Well, I mean... <sighs> um, one's, a, one's not really the writer. It's the Bible, yes. right? One okay. is God, and the other is... is a bunch of monks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a nonfiction... Uh, I don't know. Billy Shakespeare. How how is that nonfiction? Plays, plays or no? No, I said I said nonfiction plays, religious texts, things that are not necessarily. I was like Sarah, they're not real people. Yeah, no, that's some of them. That's journalism, Elizabeth. Plays are journalism. (laughs) It's life drawn done dramatically, rendered dramatically. Yeah, Billy Shakes. When we're talking about the big dogs of the printed page, it's basically God, Shakespeare, and Agatha Christie. That's the list, right? And this was true in her lifetime. She was like king of the mountain then. For instance, there's this story: Agatha Christie on a train by herself. She was not visually distinctive, so people could miss her. They wouldn't know that they were sitting on a train with Agatha Christie. She she would say that she was just a housewife. She even said that after she was selling millions of books, right? Anyway, she's on this train. Same train carriage as her, two women. They both have Agatha Christie books on their knees, right? And Agatha Christie remembers this moment as she tells it, two women discussing me, both with copies of my paperback editions on their knees. And like I said, they don't recognize her, so they're talking freely about her, unaware that the author is right there listening to them. So the two women, they get to talking, they get to, of course, to gossiping. And they're like, oh, yes. Oh, one of the ladies says, I hear she drinks like a fish. Ooh, right? And so she's just having to hear this all the time because people (laughs) don't know. She's like this king or queen, rather, of the crime world, of fiction, of books. And still people are like, oh, I wouldn't recognize her. She's walked right past me. Yeah, yeah. Now, as you can imagine, with this person who is selling so many books, everybody loves her. When she disappears, the queen of crime disappears on December 6th, 1926, it was a super big deal. All of a sudden, papers are like, wait, what? Yeah. Agatha Christie goes missing? It's a real-life murder mystery? <laughs> At the time, Elizabeth, she was 36 years old. She'd already published many of her best books, as I told you. And uh, so she's published her sixth book, The R- Murder of Roger Ackroyd. Mm-hmm. And the reason why uh, Agatha Christie had went missing was in rough terms. Right? We'll just put it 
Sometimes a girl just needs to get away. That's the truth. Right? Now, she and her husband, Archie Christie, had rather recently moved into a grand home. Uh, a big, I'll put it in your terms, a long daddy okay. in Sunningdale, Berkshire. And uh, it was a sort of home that gets a nickname. They called the 12-bedroom mansion Styles, which was the st- title of her first book. I was, yes, they, they named it after the sidekick from Teen Wolf? Yes, exactly. It was an amazing amount of uh, prescience. She's saw forward. She's like, you know, Michael J. Fox, I like that kid. He's going to be a hell of an actor, but not him. What's the one next to him? (laughs) Now, as she learned from the Styles Mansion, Big House, right? Big House can also make you feel more alone. Oh, completely, yeah. Right? The emptiness of it, the sound of that emptiness, right? And also, her husband was often gone. That also really kind of exacerbated the the emptiness. the big house implies that there should be a lot of people. Yes, and a lot of life in Mm -hmm. it, right? So she grows lonely in response to her success in the big house. Yeah. Setting all this aside for a moment, Agatha was also dealing with somewhat of a... A life crisis, right? She was in a dark place. Her mother had died that same year in the spring. And Agatha and her mother, they were really close, like super close. And Mm -hmm. the loss was devastating to her. So she already has her somewhat absent husband. And now her mother is gone. Her husband is not there to help her with the loss. Not only that, he just shrugged off the loss. Like he didn't even attend the funeral. Oh. Yeah. Like oh. she was he was of no help when she lost like someone uh, who, Yeah, right. So now she has no she mother. She has a daughter of her own though, a seven year old daughter. And so that later that same year, in the summer, Agatha, she takes a trip with her daughter to her mother's estate to kind of like show her this is grandma's place yeah. and do all that. And like let's you know like, commune with her spirit. The two of them, they chill, they talk about grandma, you know, they're just vibing out, right? Yeah. Husband shows up. Recently departed mother's estate. He's got big news for them. His big news is, Elizabeth, he's met another woman, a much younger woman named Nancy Neal. And he's in love with Nancy. In fact, he wants a divorce. And because he and Nancy had been carrying on for uh, having an affair for about a year now, her husband was tired of sneaking around. Are you for real now? Spare me the exercise of hiding what I'm doing from you. Oh, my God. So Agatha tells him, nope, I won't grant you a divorce, right? And so even though her hubby, Archie, he seems to me, he's like a total sad sack of a man. She loves him. She wants to keep this guy around. She won't let him go. No, you know, he comes up and he's like, oh, I want a divorce. I'd be like, nope. (laughs) And I'm about to make your life miserable. (laughs) She actually loves him. So she tries to save their marriage. She works for a while, right? Her husband was like, oh, good Lord, did you not listen to a single word I just said. I want a divorce. Nope. Nope. Didn't listen. So Not going to. Agatha said about this, she wrote about this period later in her life. She said that this was, quote, the beginning of a nervous breakdown. No. Honey. Right? Yeah. Aww. So that day at her late mother's estate, when he said he wanted to get a divorce and shack up with his mistress, that was the summer, right? Come- I mean, I, how, I, of course it's the beginning of a nervous breakdown. I just like, that is the most tender point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She loses her mother and then her husband destroys everything. And yeah. She's, yeah. So, Come winter, Archie, this the sad sack of a husband, he comes back to Agatha and informs her, Look, I can't go on like this. I must be with Nancy. I'm going to go spend the weekend with her. She's non-threatening. Exactly. So that <laughs> afternoon, Agatha, she goes out for a drive, right? She was half out of her head. She's in deep in her feels at this point, right? Yeah. But she knew she couldn't do anything rash because she's got her daughter with her in the car. So right. she's like, I'll wait till later, right? She's also thinking maybe he'll come home and he's just being whatever, you know, <sighs> peculiar. She I waits- can't, I, you know, when I hear these stories, I'm like, Honey, just come over to the jaded side of the fence. <laughs> You'll get here eventually, but it's better come, to hop us. early and then your life will be much better. Anyway, well, proceed. She, she waits for her husband to come home. When Archie doesn't come home that night, around 9.45 p.m., she goes up to her daughter's room. She kisses her daughter goodbye, and then she grabs her car keys and she takes off on her drive on her own. 
I'll leave it to Agatha to tell the story. I just wanted my life to end. All that night I drove aimlessly about in my mind. There was this vague idea of ending everything. I drove automatically down roads I knew to Maidenhead where I looked at the river. I thought about jumping in, but realized that I could swim too well to drown. Then back to London again, and then on to Sunningdale. From there, I went to Newland's Corner. So she just keeps driving through the dark and the despondency of her blues. Then something happens, Elizabeth. She says, when I reached a point on the road which I thought was near the quarry, I turned the car off down the road, down the hill toward it. I left the wheel and left the car run. The car struck something with a jerk and pulled up suddenly. I was flung against the steering wheel and my head hit something. Up to this moment, I was Mrs. Christie. After this moment, she was someone else entirely. Oh. Literally and figuratively. The crash was the beginning of a two-week-long disappearance of Agatha Christie. (laughs) Nice. Let's take a break, and after this, we'll get into what happens while she's gone. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60 day money back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) 
What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Elizabeth. Yes, sir. We're back. So yeah. where were we? Oh, right, the English countryside. Yeah, and oh, my heart. Like, telling her story about how she's feeling and mm-hmm. she's driving and so despondent. Like, mm-hmm. I just, it's it's heart-wrenching. You feel to hear. for her, right? I really yeah. do. Yeah, you can relate. You're like, oh, I, I get you, girl. Yeah. So Agatha Christie, she crashed her car. Eventually, she wakes up behind the wheel, right? She's not dead, obviously, <laughs> but she's still in the car. And Ag- Agatha, she's banged up. She's got blunt trauma wounds to her chest from the crash. Uh, she has bruises on her head. She, like I said, though, not dead. So she's like, oh, I need to. She probably got a concussion. Probably. She's like, what do I, I need to decide what to do. And so she's like, you know, gathers her wits. Then she climbs out of the crash car. She walks into the English countryside. It's deceptive. December, so the trees are bare. It's They're cold. just like skeletal things on the horizon, right? The air is cold to the skin, right? The crisp wintry night. You get it, right? Mm-hmm. But like a phoenix arisen from the ashes, Agatha Christie would write, as I told you, up to this moment, I was Mrs. Christie, right? Yeah. From this moment on, she remakes herself. She's like, I'm going to go be someone else. <laughs> now she's this new woman, reborn right there in that field. And now she needs a new name, right? So... I'll get to that in a second. But the next day, uh, a boy is out walking, and uh, he finds Agatha Christie's car. It's a Morris Crowley, if you're into old cars. Uh And uh, the thing was all left all parked janky style, right? It's all cockeyed at the edge of a quarry. It looks like someone tried to, like, push it into the quarry, which is a good place to hide something, right? The front wheels are dangling off the edge. Oh, dear. Yeah, the only thing that stopped it was it had hit, uh, like, some bushes right around the the edge of the chalk pit, right? So. There were other curious facts, though. When the cops came out to investigate, they find that the car's gear shift was in neutral, right, which yeah. is strange. The handbrake wasn't engaged, which that tells someone who's you know investigating, it looks like someone was trying to roll the car right, or push right. the car, right? Yeah. But Agatha Christie, she couldn't be strong enough to push a car over a cliff into a quarry, right? So what was her plan? Maybe she was just going to roll it down a hill. Yeah. We don't know. They, it's inconclusive, sure. right? What we do know is that Agatha Christie walked to a railway station. And then, as she put it, it is strange. The railway authorities there did not recall me, as I was covered with mud and I had smeared blood on my face from a cut on my hand. Wait, that's why they didn't recall her? That's, I'd be, I that's think her that, tale. Is everyone walking around muddy and bloody? Because, like, kind of stand Ni- 1920s out. England? I don't know. Oh, Can you tell me? I don't know. Maybe she got in with the Union Busters. I don't know, Elizabeth. <laughs> but they didn't recognize her, right? So there she is at King's Cross train station. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites. I've been yeah, to that one so one. many times, mm-hmm. right? So she purchases herself a ticket to a resort spa in a town called Harrogate. I may be pronouncing yeah, that wrong. Yeah. Harrogate up in Surrey. Uh-huh. So at the station, she grabs a taxi cab when she gets up to Harrogate, and she asks the driver to take her out to the hydropathic hotel. That sounds awesome. Doesn't that sound awesome? It's a resort spa, right? Agatha walks in. She's alone. No luggage. She tells the front desk that she'd recently arrived from South Africa and her name, wait for it, Teresa Neal. Oh, I was hoping for Agatha V. Stallion. Now, in, <laughs> in case, now Miss Regina Corntower, in case you <laughs> yes, missed it, sir. when it comes to making up a new name, she picked the last name of her mistress, Nancy Neal. Oh. She became Teresa Neal. Oh, wow. There's a lot of <laughs> what, yeah. psycho- like psychological... What's your take on that name choice? 
<laughs> you know, I, and I don't know. I'm guessing that the the Neil gal is younger. Yes, yes. Yeah, and so, oh, honey. I mean, is she framing her husband? Is she taking on the identity in some strange pathology? Yeah, I would say it's that. I mean, I don't know. No one can know. No one. Either way, know. the resort spa manager he escorts the new Mrs. Neal upstairs <laughs> and to, as Agatha put it, a good room on the first floor, fitted with hot and cold water. Because remember, 1920. Uh-huh. So you don't have to promise hot so and cold water in your room. Place. Oh yeah, real nice, right? So she's made it. She's made her break. She's in the hotel. She's got a new name, a new self. So what does she do next? What does she do now that she's an anonymous and alone, formerly famous person? Well, to answer that, Elizabeth, I'd like you to close your eyes. My eyes are closed. And picture it. It's early December 1926. There is a piano playing. You know the tune. It's the recent hit song, Yes, We Have No Bananas. Oh, that's a good one. You, Elizabeth, are currently not at a speakeasy in New York or a swanky private music club in London. Nope, you're at a health spa and resort in the English countryside. And you are a patient at the resort. That's what they call the guests mm-hmm. at this spa. And uh, you are a wealthy Glaswegian woman of a certain age who's come to this spa to get her humors balanced, like the ancient Greeks. Ah, oh, that's great. <laughs> so that's what your latest doctor told you your health requires, mm-hmm. some time at a spa. So you found this spa to convalesce. Now that you've been here for a few weeks, you're feeling much better, and you've come to enjoy the nighttime's frivolities. Dressed in one of your favorite moo-moos, you've come downstairs drawn by the sound of the music. Tonight, there's a soiree of sorts. There in the downstairs ballroom, guests are dancing, some seated at tables that encircle the dance floor. They're drinking punch. Others are drinking healthy cocktails like gin and carrot juice. That's so healthy. (laughs) Hey, man, what are you talking about? (laughs) One of the new patients, a single middle-aged woman, is behind the keys of the piano. She's playing that light and airy pop song, Yes, We Have No Bananas. As she sort of half sings the lyrics, the bouncy words dance right along with the patients. Yes, we have no bananas. We have no bananas. Bananas today. Our eggs are delicious, but they act suspicious. They look like they passed away. If you try some of our spinach, we'll tell you you're finished. But yes, we have no bananas. We have no bananas today. Hey. And with that, all the relaxation I'd gained at the spa is gone. <laughs> the woman behind the keys, Mrs. Neal, as she calls herself. Oh, get, man, she's really spinning out. <laughs> gets up from the piano. Another patient takes over for her. Mrs. Neal spins and pirouettes onto the dance floor. All gaiety and joy. You spoke with Mrs. Neal earlier today at lunch. You recognize her. Do you remember she told you she's from South Africa? That's right. And sadly, she lost a son not too long ago. Yet the loss of her son doesn't show up in her glowing smile as she dances towards you. You find that Mrs. Neal is rather good at the Charleston. It's the dance craze at the moment on both sides of the Atlantic. She even shows you how to move your hands and knees in that jazzy way. The coordinated knock-knees dance step of so the Charleston. Good. You laugh as you attempt it. Talk, talk, talk. You're a quick study, and with not much time, you're doing the Charleston better than Mrs. Neal. She is not as good a dancer as you are. <laughs> After a few turns on the dance floor, Mrs. Neal is winded. So she returns to the piano. She warbles out a few more tunes. You lean on the piano with another patient. When either of you recognize a song, you sing along, but Mrs. Neal seems to prefer the upbeat jazzy tunes, so you don't recognize many of them. You sip from your gin and carrot juice. This is the life. You'd have no reason to believe that you've just spent the night carrying on and carousing with Agatha Christie, the most famous woman in the world who isn't a queen. <laughs> so, Elizabeth. Oh, man, if I if I could still drink booze, mm-hmm. 
I loved gin. You love carrot juice. And I love carrot juice. God, that's sounds... Gin and juice, carrot style. Right? That sounds kind of good, dude. <laughs> I think you should Throw a little it. blood orange juice in Ooh, there. Mm. Dress it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Put a fur coat on it. I yeah, like that. That'd okay. be so good. Well, other than dancing, carrying on, and sipping on your gin and juice. Did you did you know how to do the Charleston when you were a kid? Of course. I was one of those kids, yeah. Like, I was raised, like, my grandparents helped raise me, mm-hmm. and I think that's why I talked yes, like a I World War II lot, propaganda yep. poster. But Same. Yeah, I, like, we totally <laughs> did the Charleston as a kid. Yeah, it was a great dance. <laughs> so like, what's up with that? You I know? know, but let's start teaching kids the Charleston. I think we should. So other than dancing, you know, carousing and hanging out with Agatha Christie and, you know, shaking your knees to yes, we have no bananas. What else did Agatha Christie get up to while she was on her break? Cocaine. No. <laughs> Surprisingly. Always, it's you, you're telling a story. I have no cocaine in the story. <laughs> Can you believe it? And also, it's like surprising how much cocaine shows up when I hate cocaine. I'm I like, know, that's the best part hey, of it. Hey, here's cocaine again. The two of us are like, it's disgusting. Let's yeah. talk about let's, it. Let's talk about how stupid it is. How silly and what terrible decisions you make. And what are the things you will sacrifice for it? But anyway, there's no cocaine in the story. But I did think you'd appreciate this, Elizabeth. What she did decide to do was she slept in. Oh, God bless. Super late. She slept in late, and then she took breakfast in bed. Yes, Mama. She lazed about. She just let Agatha be Agatha. (sighs) Yeah. Right? Every day, breakfast in bed. I will hire her at sloths in a heartbeat. (laughs) She also, you're kind of girl, she she read a lot. The resort spa had a library, and the librarian helped her find mysteries to read because Agatha wasn't just a writer. She was also a reader. (laughs) So she's she's painting herself by reading through her old stuff. Yeah. And like, ah, crap. I should have. And she's making notes. Making notes. You have yeah. dog earring the pages. Like, yeah. <laughs> or like, oh, I nailed it on that one. The other thing that she was reading a lot of was the newspapers covering her disappearance. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. she's just sitting there reading them, hoping nobody recognizes right. her. Right. And of course, they don't. Of course. So in her bedchambers, though, she uh, did keep a framed picture of her daughter on her bedside table because she did still think about her. She wasn't planning yeah. on disappearing from her entire life. She was just kind of taking a break. She just needed some me yeah, time. She'd not forgotten about her, right? And so, as I told you, she arrived alone with no luggage. Yeah. She had no clothes. So, homegirl needed to go shopping. So, that was the other thing she did, like, day two. Okay. She went out and bought herself some luggage, a whole new wardrobe. Because it's going to be a new miss thing. Yeah. She's got all sorts of sundries. As she put it, she bought a new hat, a coat, evening shoes, books, magazines, pencil and fruit, and various toilet requisites. Nice. So, she bought herself some feminine napkins, right? Well, no, she got, like, you know, rose water for her skin. And- oh. Oh, like, that kind of yeah, toilet, toilet requisites. Yeah, like the toiletries. I thought requisites was like a British euphemism for like, you know. Yeah, well, what you require, a woman would require. So she probably got like powders and oh, skin cream. Look and, at me over here. You know, and Not as thinking you about said, skin cream. feminine napkins. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> I've seen that written on old machines. I think it's the funniest oh, yeah. term. Feminine, Feminine napkins. napkins. They used to have it where apparently, like, it was before my time. Yeah. They had to, like, I don't know, have some contraptions. <laughs> Attach one into another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's well. like a parachute, like... <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so that night, uh, the second night, she goes down. She shows up for dinner. She's all decked out in her new duds. She's right? got a big pad on. <laughs> pad. She also had a very fancy <laughs> scarf that she had picked up. Oh, I like a good scarf. I know you do. That's why I, I bring know. it up, right? So she's out there. You know, she's got her new friends. They're noticing the scarf, right? Well, one of the uh, employees, she noticed the scarf. So she's like, oh, right. Yeah, like, everyone's just taking now taking notice of this like creature come alive, sure. right? So the, as I told you, the second night, 
Agatha Christie, she's chilling with her new friends. She played billiards. She was apparently oh, okay. pretty good. At, she, she could rack them, right? So she played <laughs> piano again, sang more popular tunes of the jazz age. Knuck a few bucks. She's just doing sets at this point. You know, she's like, she's got a big, like, one of those whiskey glasses with dollars yes. in it on top of her piano. Yes. Anyway, the resort spa had an entertainment director, as I told you, like, uh, kind of like a cruise ship. We'll mm-hmm. just imagine that. Her name was Miss Corbett. She was the one who started to really take notice of the new patient, and she noticed the beautiful scarf. She also noticed that there was a price tag still attached. So she's oh, like feeling sorry for her, but I don't think she's recognizing that this is like the behavior of someone on the lam, right? She's right. like thinking, like, right. oh, she forgot. Let me go get some scissors or yeah. whatever. So on the next few days, other guests, they start to have their suspicions about this new person, Mrs. Neal. Her like mini pearl hat with the tags. <laughs> exactly. <on>. <laughs> so you see, by now at this point, the, the London press is going crazy, right? They've discovered that Agatha Christie's missing. It's, it's front page news. Oh, all I'm sure the they're like dredging the quarry. Exactly. Yeah. They've got police everywhere, but finally, uh, they publish a portrait of her uh, on the front Uh-oh. page. So now, because you don't, they don't really have photography dominating newspapers in right. the 1920s. Yeah, but still the little sketch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they finally get an image of her, right? So now back at the health spa resort, these newspapers are arriving each day. Now they got one with her face on it. She doesn't care. She's still reading the newspaper. <laughs> nice. Like, that ain't me. I don't know who that no, lady I, is. I would be telling people, you guys look, I look just like Agatha Christie. Isn't, Isn't that, that wild? wild? <laughs> totally. <laughs> Get Yeah, exactly. You're, get you're, ahead of it. You you're, get you're two ahead steps ahead, uh, not just always. one. Now, the hotel manager... And that's because I keep tripping forward. Well, I wasn't going to bring Thank that you. part up. I am, I'm respectful. <laughs> now, the hotel manager, his wife would come down around, and I don't know, pick him up for work. I don't know how, but she would come around, and so she was there, and she's like noticing this person. And apparently, she's a reader. She reads the news. She's uh-huh. like, that's Agatha Christie, right? <laughs> so she, as the hotel manager remembered... When she had been here about four days, my wife said to me, I believe that lady is Mrs. Christie. <laughs> so the hotel manager, what does he do? He dismisses his wife's suspicions. He's like, oh, you're, what are you talking about? That's flat out absurd. Why would <laughs> Agatha Christie be in Surrey? So anyway, <laughs> like, meanwhile, there's about 300 constables out searching Hillendale for her, right? Just anywhere they can. But they begin to have their doubts that she's alive. Because, like, after 48 hours, you know how it goes. They're yeah. like, oh, first 48, man. This yeah, is still, still true in 1920s. Man, you ain't right. going to find her. Then it gets to 72 hours. They're like, should we tell the husband? Yeah. So the Bobbies, as I said, they start to believe she's dead, right? So four days after she went missing, in three days of searching, the police call off the hunt to find Agatha Christie. They're like, oh, so much for that. You're kidding. Yeah, according That's to it. the cops, Agatha Christie's brother-in-law had received a letter, apparently from Agatha. Uh-huh. So she informed him that she was at a resort spa in Surrey, quote, for rest and treatment. Now, our girl Agatha, like Dracula, she's dead and loving it, right? So she's sitting there hanging out. She sends a a letter to her brother? Brother Brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. Her husband's husband's brother. brother, Not on another end. Okay. And does he give this to the cops or does he keep it hush-hush on the QT? He does for a second, then he gives it to the cops. Oh, okay. So then they're like, oh, she's not dead. Well, I'll get to that in a second because there's a reason why it gets brought to the cops. But at this point, she's unaware. She's still swanning around. And the husband's probably like, how how long does it take to get someone declared dead? (laughs) Exactly. Because we were not divorced and and I'm entitled to this. She's doing well with the books, you know? Right? Oh, yeah, you're right. So uh, at this point, though, Mrs. Neal is going around and as she would say later on, I was very happy and contented, right? She doesn't realize things are like, you know, the walls are closing in. At the other end of the spectrum is her husband, Archie. He was beside himself with worry. Of course, it was not his missing wife that he was worried about. He was concerned for Archie. He was fretting about all these news reporters circling about the story, you know, following anybody, asking questions. He was 
rather certain that they would discover that he'd been having a year-long affair with his mistress. Right, He's right. like, that'll make me look bad. And he was a colonel, so he had all that British, oh, like, oh, I can't look... Bro-. Yeah, exactly. Did he fry chicken? Not that kind of colonel. No. So at first, Archie's infidelity. He gets overlooked, right? He's golden. No one susses it out. Then he decides, you know, what the hell? I'll make a colossal mistake on my own. He decides to speak with reporters from which paper? The Daily Mail. Oh, Of all boy. the papers, the Daily well, Mail. Captain Good Decisions there is going to keep his streak going. So the tabloid reporters, they do their due diligence, Elizabeth. They ask him about his side piece. They're like, hey, what's up with Mrs. Neal? <laughs> Archie wheels about in his mind trying to decide what he's going to say, right? He doesn't know. He's grasping for an excuse. So he, while he's thinking, he sort of just half attacks the reporters out of instinct, right? Like I told you, he's a colonel. So he's like, attack. So he says, and I quote, it is absolutely untrue to suggest that there was anything in the nature of a row or a tiff between my wife and myself on Friday morning. I, I strongly depreciate uh, introducing any tittle-tattle into this matter. Oh, right? quit your tittle-tattle. At, at tabloid reporters. That's their job is tittle-tattle, <laughs> right? right? So right. in his panic of self-defense, the husband, he throws his wife fully under the bus. He's like, he raises the prospect that maybe uh, his wife went missing on purpose. Maybe she planned and designed this, you know, carried out her own disappearance. He's like, uh, ask Agatha when you find her. Well, they were still locking women up for being quote, exactly. unquote, difficult. Hysterical. So, uh-huh. Yeah. So Archie Christie told the Daily Mail reporters, quote, my wife had discussed the possibility of disappearing at will. Engineering a disappearance had been running through her mind, probably for the purpose of work. Personally, I feel that is what happened. <laughs> right, so back to the constables on the search for the missing mystery writer. They aren't entirely convinced of the letter to the brother-in-law. They're like, isn't that something that a husband who's trying to hide a murder would do? Like, oh, yeah, my brother, he got a letter from my wife saying she's fine. It's cool. It's cool. Don't worry about it. Because as we know, whenever a woman, a married woman mm-hmm. goes missing, who's the first suspect? Yeah, the right, husband. rightfully the husband. R- right, exactly. So December 10th rolls around. We're now about a week after she first went missing. The police now, they decide to bring out the dogs because Archie he's one hell of a suspect. He just oozes with the foul scent of guilt. So they're mm-hmm. like, we may be able to find a body. Yeah. So they bring out the dogs. The dogs, the hounds they bring out, they can't find any. They just start barking and whining nothing, right? So the London Times reported that the constables, quote, are now said to be of the opinion that it is a case of suicide. Oh, dang. Yeah. So the public, though, still hungering to find what happened to this famous writer. So the papers continue to cover the story with constant front page updates. By the next week, the story begins to shift. And after this break, Elizabeth, I'll tell you how the story shifted. Yeah. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. 
It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Elizabeth, we're back. Saren. As I was telling you, stories were shifting. Yeah. People were looking for dead bodies yeah. that were not dead because they were dancing in and soaking a health in the spa. spa yeah. Exactly, just being their best Agatha. So at this point, on Tuesday, basically we're a week into her being gone, an editorial gets published. Once again, the Daily Mail steps into it. The writer for the Daily Mail, they argue that if the rumors are indeed true and the letter to the brother-in-law is accurate and Agatha Christie is indeed alive, then this is a terrible hoax to pull on the people who loved and supported her. The writer, he basically called it, quote, a heartless practical joke. <laughs> so at this point, we're December 12th, okay? Just to give you a date. Yeah, we're okay. nine, nine days after she's disappeared. Yeah. The next day, the cops still at it. They're still looking for something. Agatha Christie's still laying low. People's suspicions ratcheted up. Everyone at the, the spa is like, I'm pretty sure that's Agatha Christie, yeah, right? Yeah. But she's still running with it. And however, the cops at this point... They're no longer convinced she's dead. They've at least caught up to the idea, you know what? She may not be dead. Right. They now believe she's on the run somewhere. They're like, we yeah. don't know where, but we think she's on the run. So they, what do they do for clues, Elizabeth? Hmm. They turn to her books. They're like, why don't we oh. start reading her books for clues? <laughs> her her manifest. So they read the manuscript of her newest novel. They're like, let's oh, see what that yeah. one's about, right? Because it's just about to come out, but it hasn't come out yet. And okay. the book is called The Blue Train. They're like, the blue train to where? She's on the train. <laughs> yeah. so, now, I, I may not be doing a really good job of covering like how big this search was for Agatha Christie. So for just to give you some numbers and some scale. Love them. This marked the first time that a plane was ever used in England to search for a missing person. Oh. 
There were so many people out looking on the grounds that they put the number up between 10 and 15,000 individuals. Just people, just locals out yeah. there looking like, oh, yeah. I've got my dog and a cane and a walking stick. Let's go see if we can find them. As oh, I mentioned dogs, they had trained animals. As in, and I quote, six trained bloodhounds, a crate load of Airedale Terriers, mini retrievers, and Alsatian police dogs, and even the services of common mongrels. Wait, that sounds like the greatest group of dogs. I, it sounded like your next birthday party. <laughs> Sounds like my dream pack. <laughs> so the hunt drags on despite all the dogs and all the like locals looking. Cops, they pull out their latest theory. They go, okay, we're going to ask for the public for help. The Bobbies, they now believe that Agatha Christie is on the run and she may be hiding out in London. Mm. Not only that, but she was, quote, likely disguised and probably in male attire. Oh, So, okay. so now people in London are supposed to be going up to men who don't have, like, any scruff. And I go, are you Agatha Christie? <laughs> Give them the once over. So the cops, they all mentioned that there may or may not be a sealed envelope with the specific instruction that it should only be opened on the event that her body was discovered. So now they're ratcheting up the stakes. So basically, yeah. The Daily Mail and the police are competing for who can come up with the craziest theories. And finish the manuscript of this book. With yeah, their- <laughs> exactly. To help in this case, I forgot, the spiritualist, because this is the height oh, of spiritualism. That's the time, yeah. They come rushing in, psychics of all. They come by the score. They step forward. In one news story, there was a, in London Times, a psychic reported that Agatha Christie was indeed alive and well and would be found very soon, which turned out to be correct. Yeah. But the psychic really had a 50-50 chance on that one. So, I mean, like, yeah, what are we giving yeah. them? Like, oh, she's she alive or dead this is such a fantastic i say that as it's an interesting it's the most interesting period of time for me in Mm -hmm. like not necessarily just european but mostly british english culture of the time between the wars yes completely and the mindset of it and there's like this search for identity but yet they know that they've like they're doing things not knowing what's about to happen yes that as well oh man i love it (laughs) (laughs) so so, okay, remember how, once again, how I told you um, the author of Sherlock Holmes, yeah. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, he was big into spiritualism. Friend of the show, yeah. Oh, my God. that The friend of the show, he got his gear, and once he heard his peer in the mystery game was missing, he's like, oh, oh. a mystery I can solve. He and his old lady, they got to yeah, seance. threw on the deerstalker hat, and he was like, grab my wife's <laughs> crystal ball, let's do this, right? So somehow, Sir Arthur, he's like, I need to get some personal property. So he gets yeah. a hold of Agatha Christie's personal property. He gets his hand on one of Agatha Christie's gloves. Don't ask me how. Huh, he okay. takes the glove to a spiritualist. The psychic did the routine, and then she declared, Agatha Christie is alive. Uh-huh. And not only that, but she'll be found soon. And so, she's, she is mad. <laughs> both times. <laughs> she the, is pissed the off. The spiritists were correct. She would be found very soon. Mm, so the see? next day, December 14th, the police announced they found new evidence. Not Agatha Christie, but new evidence. They found new clues. Namely, quote, a bottle labeled poison lead oh. and opium, some fragments of a torn up postcard, a woman's fur lined coat, a box of face powder, the end of a loaf of bread, a cardboard <laughs> box, and two children's books. Where did they find these things? This sounds Just like the swag you're the giving world. away at your next Next birthday party. <laughs> Fish hooks, gumdrops. <laughs> where, where did they find this the, stuff? Uh, her car, I believe. Oh, I thought it was just like in the world. Yeah, no, this is <laughs> like, just, they walked around. We think this could be hers. Like, get out of my house. That's my coat. Well, it's now a clue. I'm taking your coat and the end of the loaf of your bread. And the rest of this whiskey. <laughs> okay, not only that, but the detectives, they also declared that they believe Mrs. Christie had left her home on purpose with no intention of returning. So now they're, yeah. they're trying to refine their announcements. The police, they also continue to investigate the husband because they're not entirely sure. certain about old Arch, right? One of Archie's colleagues 
Woods at this time, he was quoted in a paper. He said, he was in a terribly nervous state and told me the police had followed him and were now waiting outside. They think I murdered my wife, he said. So he's like going around screaming to his friends that they think, you know, people are like, yeah, <laughs> well, I, you know, Archie, you act a certain way. Exactly. Anyway, all the, as all these theories and suspicions start to come to a head, two underemployed musicians, that's right, two underemployed God musicians, bless them. They, they crack the case. Oh, nice. Because they worked at the resort spa and they saw her all the time. <laughs> saw her tinkling the ivory. That's Agatha Christie. So they went and they confirmed that Archie was indeed no murderer by coming forward and going, yeah, you can find her right here. The cops show up, the newspaper reporters show up, and they're like, oh yeah, that's Agatha Christie. So the next day, December 15th, Agatha Christie is discovered to be alive and indeed at a hotel resort spa. All the newspapers, they start printing everything they can about this. And the interesting point is that they find out that she's been staying under the name of her husband's mistress. So now the story gets salacious. So, so now that uh, Agatha Christie, but it's only the last name; it's not the first name. Yes, Teresa Neal and so her, it's like I'm Nancy her sister. Neal. Yeah, exactly. That's kind creepy. of right? exactly. So, once she's found, what does Agatha Christie do? What does she say? How does she tell? What does she tell the public who has all these questions? How does she explain her sudden abrupt absence from her own life, Elizabeth? Uh, I'm gonna guess the car accident. That's a good one. Yeah. But but what does she say? What do you think she means? She well, just, I got did, bonked was she, on the was head. Was she grabbed? Did she like? Was there a, a deer ran in front of her? I got bonked on the head, and I didn't know who I was. Okay, that's good. So stick to simple. Yeah. Well, she, she would be proud to know that she did what any good fabricator of stories would do. Oh yeah. She lied. Good for her. Yeah, I got the Chrissy told the detectives that she did indeed hit her head in the car crash. Right. She bruised her dome and was temporarily knocked unconscious, so mm-hmm. she had no memory of the past eleven days. Okay. Though she's covered the whole yeah, time. Yeah, right? that's what I would do. The cops they they were they were like, but you don't have a bruise on your forehead, and she's like, oh, it's been two the weeks. Bruise what are you on doing? The inside. <laughs> exactly. I was I was psychically murdered by my husband. He <laughs> you broke can't my see spirit. That either. Exactly. So there's the question of her transient amnesia. They're like, is, is that? And that's hard. You can't see that. You can't sure. detect it. So they have to take her word for it or yep. possibly the word of doctors, right? Yeah. So meanwhile, there's her sad sack half a man husband, Archie. He arrives at the hotel resort spa to pick up his wife and bring her home. Uh-uh. What do you think happens? She didn't get in the car. No. She, well, he was met by a stony silence. That's right? a quote. And then he eventually, he's like, you know, we can get you out of this. So he sticks to her story and he says, oh, yes. He tells all the gathered reporters so she doesn't have to talk to him that Quote, she does not know who she is. She has suffered from the most complete loss of memory. Like, I'm even my mistress. <laughs> right? That's what he's hoping. So the couple, they employ an act of subterfuge to escape the resort spa and the press. They use a pair of decoys that go out dressed as the couple. They go out the front door. And then meanwhile, the couple, yeah. they escape the, out through the side door, right? So now she's able to get home. They take the train. They get to London. There's all these people waiting for her. She's like, oh, dear Lord. She's a writer, right? Yeah. So she's introverted. This is not yeah, what she yeah. wanted. She she's... wanted to get away. And now everything's closing in on her. And they all have faces. Right. Right. So the press also is keen to crucify Agatha Christie because of they what they now believe is a presumed hoax. Because one, there's the costly distraction for all the people and the police, the volunteers, but also Agatha Christie had a new book coming out. So they assume this is all publicity stuff. So they rail against her. So in her defense, Agatha Christie, she calls in doctors to examine her and prove that she's had a legitimate medical episode. The doctors, they interview her at her sister's house. Agatha confesses to the doctors everything. And by everything, I mean she had no clear memory of anything. So she's like, I don't know anything. And they're like, oh, that sounds legit to us. So she says only thing that she has is some hazy memory that she went by Mrs. Neal, but she doesn't know why she gave that name. And even though 
episode that is her husband's mistress. And so yeah. they're like, oh, okay, good to us. The yeah. doctors listen to Agatha Christie, they examine her, and then they announce their findings. The doctors, both of them agree, Mrs. Christie has had a bout of amnesia. So oh, the story good, goes. See? This didn't end the cries of hoax and fraud, Elizabeth. Oh, we got not. tabloids on her. Exactly. So months after she was found safe and mostly sound, an MP in Parliament decides to go and rail against her and like drum up some business for himself. He's from your old stomping grounds. Glasgow Govan. Did I say that right? Uh-huh. Okay, Glasgow Govan. Not that S. Glasgow. Glas. Glasgow. 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 <laughs> Glasgow. There you go. Govan. There you go. MP, Mr. Neil McLean, <laughs> McLean, he put forth a question to the Home Secretary, and he said, the number of the Metropolitan Police specially detailed for the search of Mrs. Agatha Christie, the time occupied, and the total cost, including the wages of the officers so detailed, or like basically, that was a, a, a price to the crown that was un- impossible to pay. So he goes yeah. saying that we need to have an investigation into this, right? So he's just trying to drum up business for himself. Anyway, the reasons for all the suspicions and the hubbub was that Agatha Christie, as I told you, had the new book out. So everyone assumed it was a capitalistic play. But also, if you recall, the front pages splashed on newspapers across the globe were also portraying her husband as a lie cheating, no good, sad sack excuse of a man once it came out about the mistress. Yeah. So now that starts being, well, maybe she was trying to get it. Now the debate is, was she trying to get away from him? Mm-hmm. So, well, what about the mistress? We haven't talked about her at all. Yeah. What What is she dealing now oh, that she's God. the scapegoat for all of this? And people are either, and it's she a publicity knows, stunt. She knows he's married. Exactly. Okay. She's well aware. The mistress, uh, in the wake of the scandal, her her parents, her poor British parents, they were shook, scandalized, embarrassed. Mm-hmm. So they to protect their daughter and their good name, they sent Nancy on a trip around the world. Yeah, I bet they did. Ten-month-long trip around the world. <laughs> she got a reward for this. Yeah, basically. pretty much. So I mean, if you're going to be scandalized, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Really. I mean, just, just a free trip around the world, no internet, nothing. Anyway, <laughs> this, however, was not the end of their illicit love story because in March of 1928, 15 months after she disappeared, Agatha Christie sued her husband for divorce. Huh. Two years after that, her ex-husband married again. Can you guess who he married? His new bride, Nancy Neal. Oh, yeah. She came yeah. back around the world. Yep, came back from her trip, and she's like, I still love him. Oy. And so, um, Agatha Christie, though, Elizabeth, she also got remarried. In 1930, her? her new husband, far more her speed, he was an archaeologist from the British Museum. Oh, and that's cool. So for- he's a thief? <laughs> <laughs> A professional thief. Yeah. For their honeymoon, the new couple went down to the Holy Land, uh-huh. where her husband conducted an excavation. Uh-huh. Yeah, there you go. Took it all home. But I'm just saying is she got to her happy place. She yeah, had a husband who was dusty and, and interesting like her. She was <laughs> like, oh, I love her. this. And she got rid of the old sad sack Colonel Archie. Yeah, I, and then the, uh, the Neil lady needs to realize that how it starts is how it ends, so... He's probably going to have a wandering eye yes. now, later on. You remember I said that there were the rumors of murder? Yeah. Yeah, like, well, it would be, it's been claimed by some, including a 1979 movie called Agatha, which apparently people who like Agatha Christie say is a terrible movie. Okay. Anyway, that her disappearance and the car crash at the quarry, all of it was designed to frame her husband for her disappearance and her subsequent murder, that she was going to off herself and blame him. Uh-huh. Many folks like to say that Agatha Christie never spoke about her disappearance. They'll say, oh, she, she, we don't know why she did it. Well, it's, that's not exactly true. If you dig deep enough that she did talk about it just once, right? Uh-huh. In an interview with the tabloid newspaper, once again, 
The Daily Mail, God. hitting this story, conducted in 1928. So this is two years after the incident. It's still fresh. It's not like 20 years later. So she explained how the afternoon she disappeared, and after her husband told her he wanted a divorce, and then he walked out, she'd first taken a drive with her daughter, and then she debated what to do next, and uh, take it away, Agatha. There came into my mind the thought of driving into it. However, as my daughter was with me in the car, I dismissed the idea at once. And the driving into it is the quarry. Sure. And then she said, that night I felt terribly miserable. I felt that I could go on no longer. I left home that night in a state of high nervous strain with the intention of doing something desperate. So that night without her daughter in the car is mm-hmm. when she acted on the impulse. And it may not have been the best plan. I admit that anybody would see that, but it certainly you know, was irresponsible leaving her right. daughter alone. But thanks to her 11-day walkabout, Agatha Christie became a liberated woman. So I assume <laughs> she left her daughter in good hands. We don't know exactly the probably, details. Yeah, probably so nanny. my point is sometimes all one needs is to get away to get some perspective, right? Isn't that the truth? Her disappearance also helped catapult her into a new level of fame. Because, much like the Mona Lisa, after it was stolen, it became the most famous painting in the world. Exactly. After she stole herself, she became the most famous woman in the world other who wasn't a queen. Yeah. (laughs) So there you go. So, Elizabeth, what's our ridiculous takeaway here? You know what? Sometimes you need to stop and have some me time. Exactly. And also, don't debase yourself and uh, chase something that... It's not good for you. Good point. My ridiculous takeaway. Once again, thank you for asking, Elizabeth. Well, thank you for asking. You can't spell crime without me. (laughs) Sometimes you need a little me time, and (laughs) crime is how you get there. (laughs) So that's all I got for you. That was excellent. You like that? Yeah, Yeah. I really like that. You in the mood for a talkback? I love talkback. Producer Dave, hit it. Talkback. Oh, my God. Did he just say that? OMG. Hey everybody, it's me, Elizabeth Sutton. I'd just like to say that I'm really enjoying the show. I've been listening in for a long time and I downloaded iHeart app just so I could send this talk back. Hey Zaren, what's your ridiculous takeaway? Hello, this is I, Zaren.net. I've been working on my German accent, obviously. And I wouldn't say it's gotten better, but it's gotten different. Keep it up, yeah. Alright everybody, see ya! <laughs> 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 I enjoy the talk back. So All right, well, as always, people, you can find us online, Ridiculous Crime, Twitter, Instagram. We have a website. It's ridiculouscrime.com. Uh, that's where you can find merch and stuff. And also, as you can tell, we do love your talk back. So please leave us one go on the iHeart app. You can defi- figure out how to do it there. And also, if you're old school, you can email us if you want at ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. As always, start the email, dear Elizabeth. <laughs> okay, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett. Produced and edited by Hercule Perois Rose, mustache wax salesman Dave Kustin. Research is by Marissa. I'm totally team Agatha Brown. And Andrea, is anyone team Archie? Songs sharpened here. Our theme song is by Thomas. I'm team Amnesia Lee. And Travis, I'm team Yes, We Have No Bananas Dutton. The host wardrobe provided by Botany 500. Executive producers are Ben. You know, I once had amnesia, but I forget when. Bolin and Noel, what is amnesia? Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, the Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 